Oh, like I said, I'm Brian last I mentioned last night I'm Brian, and it's so fun to be here. I've never, uh, the last time I was part of a pastor's retreat with Hume, um, I was at a church called Cornerstone, and Bob and Donner back then, I got to come up with them. Um, that was a long time ago. I mean, I'd guess 30 years ago, um, or maybe maybe a little bit less than that, but oh, what a joy. And I was so blessed last night when you guys opened up. Um, you ever have that where you, you ask people to share if you want, if you want prayer um, or just share what you're struggling with and then there's that silence that you wish, like you're praying for the rapture, you're praying for death. I mean, anything that will take that awkward and you guys didn't, it was like eight seconds and then we just opened and I went, maybe this is what you meant by the church. Maybe this was it, God, the whole time. And my prayer for you is that while you're here, you could just not worry about what's next. I think it was mentioned last night. Um, instead, and you, know, you don't have to look at the screen and go, that word wasn't spelled right. How many, how many times are we going to repeat this verse? What time is it? Is, somebody, is the communion ready? All this junk that all of a sudden uh, kind of takes over our minds and our thoughts to where it's really hard to worship the Lord. Because um, I want to give you three words and then we're going to pray. Three words and, and then we'll start, hopefully I'll start off this message. Come to me. And if I say that to a bunch of pastors, don't you know the rest of the verse? But do you understand the heart behind why Jesus would invite us to that? Come to me. Because it is so important. So let's pray as we jump in this. If you don't mind, can we pray, please? <clears throat> Father, we give you thanks for a time together to meet, to worship, to be honest, to pour into each other, to celebrate you, what you've done, to come to you in all honesty with regards to what we're excited about, the doubts that we have, the ways we have to work through those doubts. I thank you that you're faithful in all the process. I thank you that you're slow to anger. I thank you that you're gracious, that we don't frustrate you quickly. God, you desire to show mercy that Jesus, you, at this moment, you still are our mediator. You intercede for us. You still hurt for us on our behalf when we hurt. And yet I'm also, I'm convinced that you cause all of heaven to celebrate when we celebrate. I'm thankful that you love us as much as you do, that you gave yourself up for us. And because of us, God, may the way to the cross Never be something that just causes us to live in guilt. The way we never, God, don't let us get to that point where we don't hold on to that weight of the cross and your sacrifice because it shows, it proves to us that you deem us worth it. We're not worthy, but you deem us worth it. And then the resurrection of Jesus, we thank you for victory. And so God, as I, as I make a feeble attempt at making much of you, I pray that you would take this time. Holy Spirit, would you make much of Jesus God, would you do a great work in all of us, transform us more and more into the likeness of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone who agrees says, amen. So that verse, Matthew chapter 11, and then we're going to flip over, you have your Bibles, we're going to flip over and spend most of our time in Mark chapter 14. But Matthew chapter 11, what a beautiful invitation, and I think, I mean, getting to do ministry vocationally, leading ministry is awesome. But I do remember there was a season, and it was a long season, where I actually felt like I was needed by God. 
Like at some point, God's like, I don't know what to do. Ask Brian. Or I don't know how to do this. Or get Brian to preach because I can't preach. It's like, you ever get, do you ever struggle with ego or is it just me? And it's amazing how God can very quickly humble you. And if I, don't, if I won't respond to hu- his humbling, then he'll just humiliate you. But for what purpose? Like, why would God come to a place where he looks at me and goes, I need to break you? Well, the purpose behind it is that he can heal us. I mean, think about it. If I was walking along when my boys were little, I'm married, I don't have a, I don't have a picture of my family because I just, I don't have my, I don't send it in and I'm not thoughtful. But it's like, <laughs> Chris is much better at that stuff. And so, but if I, when my boys were little, um, if I'm walking along with one of them and he darts out in the street and I jump on him to pull him out of a way of a bus that's coming and I save his life but I break his arm in the process, am I a good dad? But even though I broke him, absolutely. Now, if it was just because I, I wanted to break him, like oh, I did a little harder, then that's an issue. But yeah, God's still a good God even if he breaks us. Guys, the problem with... The problem with doing ministry as if I'm needed is because I start to worship ministry more than the Jesus that I say that I serve. And when I serve Jesus without this invitation, come to me. Guys, I did ministry where, for a long time where my time with Jesus alone, not connected to preparing a message, not connected to how does this fit the vision of the ministry I was leading, but to just simply come to him. Friends, I did it for the longest time where my time with Jesus was optional. And God had to bring me to a place where he's like, I need you. I don't want to use that word need. I want you. I want your heart. Think, but did Jesus come and die, come back from the dead so that we could do more ministry? I mean, I'm not needed. I'm not necessary. Remember Balaam? You remember his donkey? Those of you who teach the word, if God can, how do I say this? Not sure who'd be offended. How do, if God can use a donkey, <laughs> then we're not that needed. We're not that impressive. He's not sitting there going, I really need you. I need you to do this. I need you to do this. Guys, he invites us. He invites us and the joy that's behind it. Guys, if you have kids that are young now or remember if you're older and you had them when they were young, remember when they would come out to help you with something? Help you. <laughs> and I remember I was washing the cars and I was almost done. I was getting ready to, I mean, I'm drying. And I hear my wife open the, gro- the door of the garage and I, I hear go help, go help your dad. And I knew what it meant. I, I, I knew what she was saying. It's like, I need a break. So go help your dad. And in my head, I, I wish I could tell you that I said, yes, I want to spend time with my boys out here. It was hot. And, I, and this is my thought. No, <laughs> I'm almost done. So Tyler, he's my oldest. Or he's 19 now. He's about four, maybe close to five at the time. Actually, I think he was five. He goes and picks, oh, he's four at the time, picks up the hose and just starts watering the street. He's like, my son is the reason we have a drought. <laughs> he didn't let up. All I see is money. I'm like, I'm waste. I'm <laughs> cleaning the street. I always say, he's like, dad, I got it. <laughs> Here comes my two-year-old, Dylan. He goes over, here's the, the soap bucket, and he picks up a <laughs> blade of grass, picks it, dips it in there, 
walks over to the card, like a little drunk monkey, okay, walks over, and then starts painting my car with soap. And I looked at him, and I said, Dylan, what are you doing? He goes, I didn't help it, Dad. <laughs> okay, not, okay, not really great, but okay. So then he stops, and I go to wipe it out. He goes, no, no, I'm not done. And he goes back. He, he went three or four times to paint my car with soap. And he goes, all done. And then he walks back in the house. I'm looking at Tyler. He's still <laughs> just, the street looks amazing. And as Tyler's like, I'm done. I'm like, you did nothing. You accomplished absolutely nothing that you could say that you're productive in this day. But I didn't say that out loud. I said, thank you for wasting our water bill. And so he goes in. And then as I'm cleaning things up, this is the thought that popped in my head. That's what it's like when you help me. And I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah. The heart of God is what? The heart of a father. Father likes to spend time with his kids. Father likes to do things with his kids. Friends, when we start to think that we're necessary, then all of a sudden our, person, our personal intimacy with the father, our personal intimacy with Jesus, our personal intimacy with the Holy Spirit suffers most. Because all of a sudden, ministry becomes more important than Jesus. The invitation, come to me, all who are weary. I think I heard this last night from a few of you. Mike, you mentioned you're just tired. Your soul is tired. Laura, I remember that name, Laura. Laura, tired. I think you started a women's ministry, right? That was, that was you? And you're sitting there going, I'm weary. I'm weary. And isn't this the beautiful one to come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you, here's the word, rest. Friends, this isn't a once a year retreat thing. This is a daily, minute by minute, I'm going to kill this fly, minute by minute, moment by moment, intimate abiding in Jesus all day, every day. And we can keep saying, but you know how busy we are. And the devil loves when we say that because then we won't spend as much time with Jesus. And what are we really busy with? It's like, well, we are, and I get it. But a lot of times we're busy on a phone watching other people's fake lives or other pastors' fake lives. <laughs> Has anyone ever done this? You take a picture. I used to do this all the time until God convicted me, and I'll explain that in just a second. Take a picture from the back of where you're preaching because you feel weird doing it from the front. But you take it at an angle that it looks like there's 70,000 people there. And there's like 17. And then you post it for everyone to see. And you'll say something like, humbled to be here. Oh, I pray that God uses me. You know what I'm talking Oh, am I, am I striking a nerve? And then you wait for those double taps. It's like double tap. Ah. Oh. And once you hit 100 likes, you've made it. You are validated as a servant of the Lord. And all the while, Jesus said, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. Friends, I was so convicted, because that was me. I needed the validity of another human being to make sure that I felt like I was doing something important rather than sitting alone with Jesus and just allowing him to tell me that I am. That's come to me. That's the beauty of the invitation, just come to me. I remember I was sitting there having a quiet time. And there's something at the end of Romans chapter 2 where it says something, something along the lines and God will give you his praises, something like that. I was like, that doesn't make sense. God will give me his praises. 
But it's like, you ever had that note or that person, that phone call come at the exact time that you needed it? And you sit there and go, man, coincidence. What a great coincidence. Or man, they, how do you know? You're just so good at this. And the whole time God's saying, uh, in my word I said this. Paul says, hey, God comforted me by the coming of Titus. The God who comforts the down has comforted me by the coming of Titus. God will give you his encouragement when you need it. But I needed the double tap. And so I remember I read that verse and this thought popped in my head. And I believe by faith it was the Lord. It's a little bit straightforward. And he, I, this is the thought. Hey, stop, stop prostituting my people for your quick fix of pleasure. And I went, oh my gosh. And I ran into where my wife was, and I said, God just called me a pimp. And then I ran back. That's all. There was no context. I didn't explain it. I just ran in. God just called me a pimp. And then I ran back in, and I deleted it. And it's like, how do you exist? Joyfully. I don't have any social media. It's awesome. How do you know what's going on? Ask people. Talk to people. But how many, how many of your people have gotten mad at you because they've posted something online and you didn't know about it. And they're like, I posted it for everyone. How do you not know this? And maybe it's because at some point you said, maybe it's more important that I just come to Jesus first. And then I can get to know you face to face. Because scrolling through doesn't mean it's personal. Come to me. Jesus, the creator of everything. The one who spoke everything into existence. The Bible says that God measures the universe with the span of his hand. This ever-expanding universe with hundreds of billions of galaxies all having hundreds of billions of stars in them. And that Jesus knows all of those stars by name. He brings them all out by night. The only reason we're not flying off into this massive universe is because Jesus is the one who holds all things together. That Jesus, that God of the universe says, you come to me. Come here. Come to me, and I'll give you rest. How can he know what rest is? Because he's the one who created the rhythm of life that he's called us to walk in. Following Jesus is not just obedience to him and ministry for him. It's living like Jesus lived that we can experience the life that he wants us to experience. It's knowing when to rest. It's knowing when to say no and when to say yes. So as we flip over to Math or Mark chapter 14, if you have your Bibles, if you don't, how dare you, hypocrite. <laughs> I'm just joking, kind of. Mark, Mark chapter 14, starting verse 3. And while he was at Bethany, this is Jesus at Bethany in the, in the house of Simon the leper. I can't say that I looked up commentaries on why they would still call him Simon the leper. I guess I don't, maybe it's just I didn't care enough. Or maybe it's just, I just want to say, what, what would I be thinking? I'm in this house of Simon the leper. Person with leprosy is supposed to separate yourself from that person forever. Maybe this is his past, and now maybe this is a person that Jesus healed. But isn't it amazing he's still known as Simon the leper? And isn't it beautiful to know that Jesus is still hanging out with that guy? Isn't it just like Jesus? Isn't that the point of the incarnation, that God jumped into the mess and the muck of life? And he jumps into the mess and muck of our lives. And we have to be honest with him and be raw with him. And this is God where I'm struggling. Has anyone in the last year had any kind of doubt in what this book says? Anybody? You're like, nope, not me. Guys, it's, if you never, it's coming. And the beauty of it is 
John the Baptist doubted the reality of who Jesus was, and the first thing that Jesus said after he said, go back and tell him what you see. Do you remember what he said to all the people? There is no one like John the Baptist. Right after he doubted the identity of Jesus. He's not afraid of our doubts. We bring our doubts to him. We ask questions. I love the fact that Jesus jumps into the muck. He's hanging out, and he's just hanging out having dinner. He's at table with Simon the leper. As he's reclining at a table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard. That's pretty, isn't it? Isn't that a pretty, that's a pretty name. Of pure nard. Very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. Now, who is this? Let's jump over to John chapter, four, uh, no, John chapter 12. John chapter 12, who is this woman? I don't know, I'm speaking to a bunch of pastors. He's like, I already know this. John chapter 12, verse 1, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Slowly read that part. It is so easy, if you've heard it, to just read it like this. Came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead, so they gave a dinner for He raised the dude from the dead. That's impressive. For those of you that are worried about your church community, it's not like it was before. You ever heard of COVID? It's not, bef- it's not like it was before that. Oh, Brian, it feels like it's dying. Aren't you thankful that you worship a Jesus who's really good at resurrecting the dead? Friends, come on, hang in there. Hang in there, don't give up. So they gave a dinner for him there. Guys, I don't know if you know this. This is a universal concept. Everyone in the world understands this. If someone brings someone back from the dead, you should throw them a party. You should buy some pizzas, at least get some pizzas, like if we're going to be youth pastors, get some pizzas because you can't afford anything else. So it's like, get him some pizzas. This dude, hey, this dude brought him back from the dead. We're having a party for this guy. Okay, so that's what's happening. They're honoring Jesus, and they're celebrating Lazarus, who was dead. Martha served, which is just like Martha. She's still serving. She's doing the, same, the thing that's so natural to her. Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary... Therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Man. Martha was doing what she normally did. Martha, or Lazarus was dead, so he's just chilling at the table because you don't want to stress him out because he might die again. But Mary's doing what she's used to doing. This is the part, guys, I've preached this passage so many times, and yet this morning as I was reading through it and praying through it, I, I don't think I ever made the connection here. Martha's serving, Lazarus is reclining at a table, but where is Mary's favorite place to be? At the feet of Jesus. How do I know? Guys, in Luke chapter 10, remember that part? Luke chapter 10, Jesus shows up, Martha's serving, Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet. Martha then gets ticked, which is what we all do, Right? When you start looking at what everyone's not doing, it's like, I know what I'm doing. I'm working my tail end off. We kind of do it in ministry, right? Because you think the ministry that we lead is the most important in the church. Why, won't more, why don't you do what I'm doing? You must not love the Lord as much as I do. So he's like, hey, tell her, to, tell her to help me. Oh, I love the fact that we as adults, these are adult people. We still act like kids sometimes. Tell them to help me. And what's Jesus say? I won't do that. Why? She has, cho- she has chosen this moment what is better. Or what's best. This is, this is right for her right now. Oh, Martha, you are, you are distracted by so many things. 
This is what's best. Then when you go back a page to John chapter 11, this is, this is where they gave him notice. And he's only a couple miles away, if, if that, from being able to walk to go and heal Lazarus. And think about all the healings that they had heard that Jesus has done, if not watched themselves. They were there to watch it, to see for themselves. This is what Jesus can do. They bring word, hey, the friend that you, this guy, Lazarus, whom you love, your friend, he's sick. And Jesus waits days and then says, let's go. And he knew, he knew he died. So when he shows up, this is fast forward, he shows up, Martha comes running out and simply says, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But then she says, but, and then she gives a statement of faith. But Mary doesn't go with her. So Jesus has a chat with Martha for a little bit. And then Martha goes back and says, hey, he's, he's calling for you. And then Mary says that Mary got up in such a way she, she, uh, everyone saw Mary rise quickly and go out, and they followed, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Guys, I think it's her go walk. I think it's, do you have that go walk? I get out of my way. But notice what she does. Verse 32. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell, what? At his feet. Guys, I think the first time in Luke, it's just adoration. I just love this guy. And wasn't it like that when you first come to Christ? Like, oh, this is awesome. Just sit at his feet. We can do this all day. And then life hits. You ever notice a crisis never asks if it's a good time? It just interrupts. This is desperation or frustration or anger. And she says, if you'd been here, then this wouldn't have happened. Have you ever prayed that to God? Like, I know, God, you're supposed to be here. You always say, you'll never leave me or forsake you. You're not going anywhere. But if you had really been here, then this person wouldn't have lost their kid. And I prayed, and we prayed as a community, and they still died. You ever felt like that? Guys, I'm honest, I, I honestly believe that we can relate so much with so many of the people all the people in the scriptures because they're a bunch of jacked up, broken people just like us. And yet, is Jesus always great? Yeah, he's always great and he's always good. And isn't it beautiful that that first time was adoration and this next time is desperation or frustration or anger, but she still came to Jesus. And she still went to the place where she knew. She knew the place. It's like, that, just at his feet. Just go to his feet. And then Jesus, remember, he walks out and he sees everyone crying and the best memory verse, if you're a Christian school brat like I was, when you have a memory verse every week, it's like you're kind of getting through some of them. But John eleven thirty five, 35, I nailed that sucker every year. <laughs> every year, Jesus wept, A, ah. But when you stop and think, why would he cry? He knew the ending. He knew what he was going to do, right? Guys, I think he cried because everybody else did. Which shows us Jesus hurts when we hurt. And I think he hurts at a deeper level than we could ever experience on our own. Guys, there's so much wrapped up in those two little words that Jesus wept. Knowing the ending, he still wept. And I think that he wept because he knew. He knew it hurt. It hurt everyone. Death sucks. Aren't we thankful that he came to get rid of it? 
And then you get over here to John chapter 12. And can you imagine as she's standing there at the end of the hallway and there's Jesus reclining at the table with Lazarus who's alive. Martha's running around getting burritos to everybody, but it's like there they are. What do I do? I have to worship. Where do I go? I go to his feet. Because every time I've gone to his feet, something's happened. Guys, the point of going to the feet of Jesus is it requires humility. It requires honesty. And she took the most expensive thing that she could find, and she emptied it on him. Broke the flask, pours it on his head, crying at his feet, wiping tears from his feet. Have we worshipped like that? I think we worship like that when we understand what it is that Jesus has done for us and what it is that he does for us now. And we worship like that when we recognize who he is. She's just crying out. And then you get to verse 4 back in Mark chapter 14. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, which means they were ticked. Why was the ointment wasted like that? Guys, Jesus is getting ready to take a cross. And that one word, did you hear it? Why was it what? Wasted like that. You know who started that whole conversation? When you compare it to uh, John chapter 12, Judas, one of his own, got the, got the other disciples all riled up. Can you believe she just wasted that on him? And his whole heart was what? Jesus? No. The money. He just saw that, oh man, this is, a, this is a massive amount of money that could have been donated to the poor that I could have put my money in to the, or my hand into the money bag and taken some out for myself. Had nothing to do with Jesus. Had everything to do with self. Isn't it amazing that what she needed to do was to give that which was most valuable to Jesus even if it meant it was quote unquote wasted because she just needed him to know, I love, I worship, you're worth it. And to a man who walked with Jesus for three years, seeing the miraculous of God through him, didn't recognize the value of the one that he walked with. He never saw him as Lord. He only saw him as rabbi. Why was this ointment wasted like that? And I wonder if that stung Jesus. Did he hear it? He says, for this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. Wow. I mean, they're ripping into her. The party's kind of over. They're ripping into her. She's worshiping. Plus, there's this massive fragrance going through the house. I mean, that's a lot of perfume. You ever walked up on someone who had a little too much on? And it's like in your throat. You're like, <laughs> you're trying to not let it come up. So it's completely, it's, it's at such an awkward moment, especially as they scold her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Friends, there's some of you, you've done exactly what Jesus called you to do. And some of those other disciples, they scolded you for it. And they might have even scolded you publicly. Guys, it's one thing. Oh, you ever get that email where it's like, oh, that was nice. But how many of you, your heart starts to kind of skip out a beat? When it's that long email that comes in, you just go, oh, no. 
And they say something like this. I, I want to first start off by saying, you don't really mean that part. Because the next paragraph starts with the word but. And once you throw but in there, all that stuff before is gone. And they just level you. I wish we could hear the thunders roar as Jesus says these same words. Leave her alone. But I don't think it was like, come on, leave her alone. Leave her alone. Guys, think about when Jesus speaks, light's created. The earth is formed. I don't think he got quiet on this one. Guys, he has a heart for the women and children, does he not? So can you imagine as the disciples are scolding her and people are scolding her and they're indignant. Can you imagine Jesus just looking around and then he finally goes, just leave her alone. Boom. Silent. You don't want to mess with the dude that just brought someone back from the dead because he could send you to the grave. <laughs> Why do you trouble her? Now here it is. Watch this. Underline it if you don't mind writing the Bible because it's not his face. She has done a beautiful thing to me. Guys, do you actually picture Jesus saying that about the service that you're in? Like, do you actually picture him liking it? Like, oh, show of hands. How many believe that God loves you? Not, have, not Baptist, that charismatic on this one. Believe that God loves you, that shout it out. Hands up. Get them up, get them up there. Now, put them back down. Next question. How many believe that God shouted out that God likes you? And that's where it's like, oh, what do you mean by like? Do you mean like or like, 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 like? What do you mean like? Isn't it weird we think that God loves me because he has to put up with me? And yet he enjoys us. He takes pleasure in us. He calls Israel, the rebellious nation, the what? The treasured possession. His treasured possession. Friends, he's not just putting up with you. And for those that have kids, you just watch your kids do something, even when they're younger, and just sit and go, oh my gosh, that just blessed my heart. And we just think the Father in heaven is going, I already knew that was going to happen. Move on. Move on. And yet we would see Jesus moved by the faith of a centurion. He's moved. He's like, this guy has more faith than everyone else in Israel. He says it moved him. You really think that the Father in heaven is just going, get past it. Rather than, you have done a beautiful thing. To me, even if everyone else is scolding you for it, you've done a beautiful thing to me. Guys, you see again why it's so important to just come to Jesus. If we're looking for validity in our calling or who we are and the applause or approval of people, it will always fall short because at some point we will tick somebody off. It always hurts worse when the sheep bite but we're still called to love the sheep. It doesn't matter. Well, how can I do it? Because Jesus did it. While we were enemies of him, he dies for us. Can we do the same thing? But I want you to hear it. It's like, oh my gosh, they just did a beautiful thing to me. And you may sit there and go, it's monotonous work, and we're going to get into that tomorrow. But friends, it's not to him. I mean, think about it. He, she breaks a jar and pours perfume on him and then wipes tears from his feet. Guys, that's not like the hardest thing to do, is it? Has anyone sitting there going, I don't know how to pour. I, I'm not, I don't have the gift. It's not the calling. I don't know how to wipe stuff. Don't know how to do that. It's not impressive. Like, no one's going to take a picture and post it and say, look at how incredible this is. 
That's one of those moments you just kind of pass by, except you're ticked off and then Jesus called you out on it. Like, this doesn't make sense, but it's not impressive. Guys, I'm so tired of impressive. I want it to be effective. I want ministry to be effective, not impressive. Because impressive is, hey, the people are applauding me. Look at this great work we're doing. But if heaven is silent, it doesn't matter. But effective? Effective means... Something as little as this brings pleasure to the creator of everything. We were going through the process of naming our church, which ours is a disco, I guess, what I heard last night. We're Ignite City Church, and I thought, oh, man, okay. okay so I'm re- and we were just working through it, and that wasn't even my first choice. In fact, I didn't even like it. And the team kept coming to them, I'm like, why can't you see truth? I'm right. And they kept going, and all of a sudden, I remember after a Sunday morning service, we were outside, it was the outsor- out- outdoor time. And this little seven or eight-year-old girl waves me over from across the grass. She's like, oh, of course I'm going to go. And she had this adorable little twin. And so I walk up, and she hands me this paper. I said, well, what is this? She goes, um, I made this for you because that's just some ideas of what our church name should be. And I'm like, oh, my. Gosh, I want to buy you a pony. <laughs> I, I just want to adopt you. Even though, her par- even though your parents are come live with me. And so I took it. On the front cover, her first choice, you know what it was? Jesus' church. And I was like, no one's going to remember that. Is that what I said? No. I took it home. I didn't think anything of it. I was like, oh, that's cute. And then she had a few others on the inside. And I went for a walk around our neighborhood. I was just praying. I was like, God, I don't know what to do with this. And, and this thought popped in my head. I don't care what you call it so long as it's my church. So a seven-year-old who drew a picture to Jesus, she did a beautiful thing. Do you see it? It doesn't have to be impressive. Faithful. I think that was your prayer request last night. What was your name again? What was your name? Rick, wasn't that what you prayed for last night? Just faithful. At the end of the day, were you faithful? I used to, when God opened the doors for me to start speaking at camps in different places, I would always tell my wife, she's like, how's it going? Oh, it's great. They're laughing. The spirit is moving. They're laughing as if that's it. And then I realized that's not how you gauge it. So now this is all she gets. And I know she wants a lot more detail, but this is all I ever say. Hey, how's it been going? I'm being faithful. Because what if God gives you a message that nobody wants to hear and they don't applaud you for it? What if at some point you have to play the role of the prophet? You have to call people to the mat, lovingly as much as you can, truth dripping in grace, but you still have to do it. So it can't be the approval of people. It, has, it must be for the ovation of Jesus. He's done a be- she has done a beautiful thing to me. Verse 7, for you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me, and here it is. Oh, this is freedom. Guys, this isn't me prepping for the weekend. God showed this to me in a quiet time years ago. This line freed me. Listen to it. She has done what she could. Oh, hear it. You did what you could. That's it. Like, don't try to be that person or that author or that preacher or that minister or that pastor or that ministry director. Like, who cares? Just do what you can. 
Just do what you can. And what is, what is the outcome of it? Will there be more people that show up? I don't know. Don't know. But in the end, Jesus will say, you've done a beautiful thing to me. You will bless the heart of the creator. And isn't that why you do ministry in the first place? Is it? Be honest in the question. Because if it's the approval and the ego starts to build up, because anybody else struggle with pride, you got to kill that sucker every day. But when all of a sudden you go, I don't care, God, how many people applaud. I don't care if people show up. God, I just want to be faithful. It's like, you don't care about your people. I adore my people. They hear it all the time. But I love Jesus more. The most important thing that your people need, not your vision, not your gift set, they need you to love Jesus more than you love them. Why? Because when you do, you will love them amazingly well. Love Jesus. They need a pastor. They need leaders who love Jesus. They accept the three-word invitation. Just come to me. Come to me. Come to me. Come to me. Come here. Come here. Huh? I can't. Why? Because I'm afraid. Or I'm ashamed. I'm worried. What if... How many of you are plagued by the what-if world? Or you have a yabbit disease. You're like, what's that? It's like, why no? Yeah, God's faithful. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. Guys, we can be so consumed with our weaknesses that we forget that we've been, we can be so consumed with our weaknesses that we forget that we've been given power and we celebrate our weaknesses so we can actually live according to the power of the God of the universe. That's beautiful. That's amazing, isn't it? You're like, how do you do it? Abide. Oh, no, no, four steps. Nope, abide. How long will it take? Can't tell you. It's not a four-week series. Abide every day, all day. Abide constantly in his presence, constantly wanting to be with him. Why? Because we follow the rhythm and the pace of Jesus, and Jesus did that with the Father. Jesus would get up in the weirdest times and just go spend time with the Father to abide with him. That maybe Jesus is now wanting to take us deeper, that it's not just a quiet time. Same time every day. Got through 30 minutes. Let me finish. Now I'll tell you what I want. What if God's sitting there going, I already know. Why don't we just hang out? Why don't you just sit and lose time? Why don't you look horribly irresponsible because you've been spending hours with me? But Brian, if I do that, this won't get done. Then you need to ask yourself, was it worth it? Is it worth it? And can it be handed off where you equip another follower of Jesus who's part of your community to do what they're gifted to do? Release it, not control it. Why? So you can abide. Guys, think about it. We have the freedom. We have positions. Our schedules are pretty flexible, right? Greatest thing we could do for our people is to love Jesus and abide in him with everything as long as possible. And I wish someone told me that in the beginning. But I'm so thankful that somebody did later on. And I'm so thankful that I'm being reminded constantly of it. She has done a beautiful thing, or she's done what she could. Continue with verse 8. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Wow. Do you realize no one else had that ministry? Nobody else did it before his death. She was the only one who had that opportunity. And then look at what Jesus is going to do. Oh, this is awesome. 
He says, I, and truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. What? That just means Jesus has been bragging about her for 2,000 years. Everywhere the gospel has gone out, he's like, I'm going to brag. I'm going to brag about Mary. Why? Because she did something impressive? No. She worshiped. Before she worshiped, she adored. Oh, he's got such great things to say. I love this guy. And then she came at his feet and cried out in desperation and hurt and brokenness and anger and all the emotions that come with when you knew Jesus could come and heal and he does it and he didn't fix it like I knew he could. And then all of a sudden you come back to worship. And Jesus is saying, I'll brag about that. For the, rest that there, for the rest of time, as long as there is time. Everywhere the gospel is preached, I will make sure that they hear about my love, my death, my burial, my resurrection, the call to repentance, the call to confession, the call to surrendering to the lordship of Jesus, the call to be forgiven and right relationship with God, imputed righteousness, all the doctrinal things that we can throw in. And on top of that, let me tell you about Mary. But who's to, say, who's to say that he doesn't say the same thing about you? No, this is just Mary. I could never. You can't pour ointment. You can't wipe things up. This morning there was a seminar in here. I felt horrible because I, I, I thought I had to be here at 10 for a meeting. And I walked in. I went, oh, crap. And then I just packed out like this dog that got caught doing something not supposed to be doing. But the two of you poured into people. You loved people, and I can tell you that Jesus looked and said, you have done a beautiful thing to me. So let me make sure that wherever the gospel is proclaimed, I'm going to tell people about that. And for those who started in the women's ministry, and I still think he's up in heaven bragging, see when the Lord did that, you killed it. Yeah, there's some things I got to take care of over here, but man, it's going to get good. And right now you see the moment, and God's just like, oh, but think about it. If everyone thought that everything was done, when Jesus was put into the tomb, the resurrection was coming. Faithfulness, just be faithful. Small things, be faithful. And know that God's sitting there going, I see every single one of them, and it's a beautiful thing to me, and you did what you could. That's it. That's all you have to do. That's all you have to do. At the end of the day, I've got to do what I could. So long as you can actually say that. God, I really did what I could. And what will the promises of God be? Let me finish up with this, which is the this is pretty much the way that every pastor finishes until they think of the next point that they're going to talk about. <laughs> and then it's weird how when the Spirit speaks, it always goes longer. It never goes shorter. But Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43. I remember, let's see, if, uh, let's see a couple years ago, a few years ago, um, my boys were sharing, sharing a room at the time. And I was in, I was in a, we're in the Bible reading plan. You're going to go through the Bible in a year. I had this commitment. I'm going to do it. And I was about six months behind. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> but I, for years, I've had this problem sleeping. I can fall asleep, and then I wake up, and my mind just goes, blink. And it's exhausting after a while. I'm sure everyone can say, oh, I relate. I get it. But these are the thoughts that popped in my head. It was about 1230 in the morning. I went to bed at, I don't know, 
Went to bed at 6. I'm just joking. I went to bed at like 10.30. And at 12.30, I wake up, and these are the thoughts. You're a horrible father. You're a horrible husband. No one listens to you when you teach. You can't pass your people well. Here's all your failures. Over and over and over. And I just sit there. And friends, when those thoughts start to come, we can sit there and go, why am I thinking like that? What if in that moment you need to sit there and go, I'm not listening to you. Guys, is that not demonic? And so I got up. And friends, I, I always spend time in, with the Lord in, have you seen, these are paper Bibles. I'm just joking. I always have to ask the youth, do you guys know what these are? But I, I don't like reading from apps. I don't do very well on, on my phone reading. But this time, Instead of going downstairs and grabbing my Bible, I grabbed my phone, and I, I have no clue. I know now. But at the moment, I walked into my boy's room, and I sat on the floor, and I started to read. And at no point did I sit there and go, why am I in here? I just, I just did it. And I got to Isaiah 43. This is where I was supposed to be at six months before. And God knew how much I would slack. And God knew when I needed it. Because as I'm sitting there, and I'm just going, I suck at everything. I'm not an effective communicator. I can't preach the gospel. No one listens. This isn't growing like I was hoping. I, I don't feel like I spend enough time with my kids, with my wife. I feel like they get neglected at times. They get pushed over. I'm always saying, God, I'm so sorry. I'm just feeling, man, I'm just getting condemned, smashed to the ground. And I get to this part, Isaiah 43, 1. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, oh, Jacob, he who formed you, and the first two words, fear not. Fear not. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Oh, stop there. I've called you by name. Don't you love it when somebody remembers your name? And don't you feel horribly pressured that you need to remember everyone's? And then they ask this question. Uh, do you remember my name? Oh, Lord, now is the time for revelation. <laughs> Steve? No, Paul. Okay, well, I saw Steve, so you should change it. <laughs> I called you by name. Here it is. You are mine. Friends, to hear the God of the universe speak that, receive it for just a second. You are mine. Those of you that are parents... You ever give up on your kids? Then don't believe the lie when the enemy tries to rethink, make you think that God would. Guys, if we know anything about Israel, he doesn't give up on his covenant. And we can sit there and look at Israel and go, why can't you just guys get it in your head? And I think that God's like, I need you to read that to yourself in the mirror. If you're not, I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. When, not if, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as a ransom, cushion, seba in exchange for you. Now listen, listen, listen. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. Dang. All the condemnation that was going through my head. Gone. Man, I wept. I'm on the floor, laying with my face in the carpet, 
in my boy's bedroom, but I'm trying to do that hard cry that won't wake up the puppies. You know what I'm saying? It's like, no, stay asleep. But it's like that ugly cry. I could, those last words, because you are precious in my sight, you are honored, and I love you. Guys, how simple and yet transformational are those, is, that, is that statement. Guys, when I hear him say, and I love you, there's no beating around the bush. He's just saying it. And I sat up, and this thought popped in my head. The question was this, why do you love these two? And I whispered, again, don't wake up the puppies. I whispered, because they're mine. And by faith, guys, I still get a little choked up when I remember it. I heard this, me too. Oh, so I'm okay? I'm doing okay? And isn't that what we keep asking? I'm doing okay? And what if we need to stop asking that question and just be with him? Accept the invitation, come to me. Just come to me. Come to me. Because if what if? What if he just wants to waste some time with you? It's not like a deep learning time. I had somebody come up. Now, now we have a Bible reading plan. Go through the Bible in a year. You're like, are you doing that? I am. I'm staying true this time. I had somebody come up going, Brian, there's too much at one time. I think we need to make it less. There's so much that you can't find the nugget and you can just dig into the nugget. And the thought popped in my head, but yeah, I, I, I agree with you. But what if Jesus just wants to teach you how to just be with him and not just always learn from him? Like, what if he wants you to learn how to waste time with him? Yeah, you might not get that nugget, but you can go into the nugget by putting your phone down. And you don't have to have the TV on and constant distractions. You don't have to just have one quiet time with the Lord every day. You could get back into it. But what if Jesus just wants to teach us how to come to him? Just come. Just come. And so when we go back into Matthew, you'd think I had my notes all messed up, but I don't really have them. Matthew chapter 11. Let me read it again. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will. Guys, when he says I will, that's a promise. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And I never knew what he meant by that. We look at the yoke as like my level of work, right? It's not going to be that heavy. But then don't you look at that and go, ah, it feels heavy. I just recently read somebody say when he says that, what he's saying is, hey, my, my teaching of the law, my, my way of life, my yoke, it's nothing like the quote-unquote religious. That's what he's saying. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Guys, the only way I can learn from him is to be with him, accept the invitation, come to him. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. What? The God of the universe? I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest. It's repeated. That's the second time it's stated. Mike, you're going to find rest for your soul. Why? For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Jesus' desire is to not work us to the bone. Jesus, when I hear people say, God will never give you more than you can handle. Oh, yes, he will. He says it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, when Paul says, I was so overly burdened 
beyond the point. Like I wanted to die. I was beyond my ability to endure. But why did he do it? So that I would learn to what? Rely upon God who raises the dead. The last thing we should pray is, God, only give me what I can handle. Because then we become self-reliant and we find no rest because it's all about us. The most loving thing that God could do, or one of them, is to put us in situations that are so far beyond us that we have no way that we can get through it on our own and then we say, help. And Jesus' invitation will still be what? Come here. Come here. I'll finish with this, and Brian, you can come up if you want. Whenever my boys, when they were little, when they get hurt, and they're crying, and they crash something, and I come running up, and I pick them up, and they look at them, and they look at me, and they say, I want mom. <laughs> I'm like, you bratty little kid. I said, I know, but she's not here, so you're stuck with me. I'm like, well, she, uh, uh, you're, I mean, Kelly can hear it from like a mile away. She's coming running. But it's like, you got me right now. So I pick them up. And they're crying. And, and then they start to stop. And if they, then if they see blood, oh, it's over. And then I would just bring them in. And I would whisper. And it wasn't like, it wasn't like weird psycho death thing. It wasn't like, can you hear me? It wasn't like that. But I would say this. I'm like, shh, 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 shh. They're just crying. I'm like, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? And they would still keep crying. I just, that's all I would do. Just hold them. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? And all of a sudden, and then they have that like halfway cry. You know, it's like, <gasps> like a little orangutan. <gasps> so they're like, <gasps> yeah, yeah. You okay? Yeah. And then once they calm down, and most of the time it was that. That's all it was needed. And I felt like a good dad. I would just say, you good? I would turn them around, I'd tap their diaper button, I would say, go play. Go play. And maybe for some of you, you need to hear God going, can you hear me? Can you hear me? And you need to slow down. You need to sit long enough. You need to allow him to work. And just answer the question. You say, Brian, I feel like I haven't heard God for a long time. Then sit longer. Get alone with him. Don't spend time with him so you can preach a message about him. Spend time with him so you can love him because when you do, you won't have to speak about him. You will get to speak about him. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? And maybe for some of you, stop working for the Lord and start playing with him. Go play. Go on. You're good. I pray you find rest while you're here. Physically, yes. Oh, but I pray you waste time with Jesus. I pray you waste time with Jesus. You are what he wants the most. Can I pray for us? As I pray, if you can do it if you want to. You don't, there's never any pressure. But if you're sitting there going, okay, the invitation, Jesus, I want to, yeah, I want to. I want to come to you. I want to experience this rest. I don't feel like I have it. As I pray, all I'm going to ask you to do is just take your hands and go palms up in your lap. Like you're receiving, yes, I want to come to you. 
I want to come to you, Jesus. And maybe you're at the most intimate place with Jesus ever. Maybe you're just like, we're tight. Your hands should still be up because I don't ever want to settle. Don't you want more of them? And so as I pray, that's your heart. Maybe for some of you something going, he's failed me. I'm not, I'm not there. Okay, at least be honest and tell him that he's failed you. So that at least the process can start. Jesus, I thank you. What a beautiful invitation. And God, I don't have it all figured out. I haven't arrived where I do this just normal. I'm just thankful that it's, but even though over this last week, you have been so faithful to me as I've started to learn your pace, Jesus, to put your pace into practice. It's just, it's impacting me and I'm so thankful and I don't want to lose that. I pray for all of us, God, that we would just simply come to you. Not come to you for ministry advice or ministry ideas or work ideas or help with this. But may we just come to learn to sit at your feet. Whether we are adoring you or we're screaming out at you. Or we're just so grateful to you for what it is that you did. God, may we learn, Jesus, the beauty of sitting humbly at your feet. Wasting time with you. Oh, God, may we never give that up. I love you. I love you so much, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. God, in the work that you've done and you'll continue to do, in the way that you meet us, God, to you be all the praise, all the glory and all the honor for you alone are worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all of God's kids say, amen. Love you guys more than you know.